0: Turn with me this morning to Psalm 30. This will be our Psalm of the Month for January. And then we'll return to our our series in Acts for the rest of the month, uh, beginning next week. In Acts chapter 4. Psalm 30, I'll read this, uh, this whole Psalm. You hear God's word. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, you have kept me alive, that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, this psalm contains some memorable and, and even well-known uh, wonderful statements. Verse 5, for example, a Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Uh, verse 11 You've turned for me my mourning into dancing, and I hope that this morning we can discover a, a fuller and a deep richness in these statements of faith and rejoicing. Uh, sometimes we're accustomed to seeing statements like these pulled out, and uh, they're on a plaque in the Christian bookstore, and in a Christian greeting card, or something like that, and maybe out of context, they, they sort of get lumped in with, with various sayings and sentiments like it's going to be okay, it's all going to be okay, or You know, look for the silver lining—that sort of thing. But the assurances and praises of this psalm have a great depth to them. They come out of suffering, uh, and they have nothing less than the gospel of Jesus at their root. And so, I hope we can see that this morning. Before we get to the outline that's in your bulletin, uh, I want to draw your attention just briefly to the heading of Psalm 30 there above verse one. The headings in the Psalms are not uh, original; they weren't written when the psalm was written. They were written by a Someone who helped compile the Psalter uh, later in Israel's history. Um, But the heading, they're they're often helpful uh, in understanding uh, how the song was used or its setting. But uh, here the heading reads in part, A Song at the Dedication of the House, a Psalm of David. And the curious and uncertain part there is the the dedication of the house. Uh, When is that? What does that mean? What house? The the Hebrew word house can um, refer to... Any old little house, it could be David's palace. It, it, it's also a word that can mean the temple, um, and, and does often in the Old Testament. Uh, but David didn't build the temple. Um, most probably, <clears throat> this, this heading was added, uh, like I said, much later than David, and not tied directly to David's original purpose in writing the psalm. Um, and in fact, that, that word dedication, the Hebrew word behind it, is a word you all know. It's the word Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah of the house. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, the word in the Old Testament refer to the, the holiday. The holiday came after the Old Testament, in fact. Um, but here in the heading, it probably does go back to that holiday, the celebration of Hanukkah. Um, Hanukkah celebrates a time when the, the Syrian Greeks were ruling over the Jews and they tried to destroy biblical true religion and tried to force the Jews to to worship Zeus, essentially, and even using the temple to try to uh, sort of remake their their religion. Uh, The Jews revolted under the leadership of the Maccabees um, and eventually kicked the Syrian Greeks out and reclaimed and rededicated the temple. And that's what uh, Hanukkah remembers that event, along with a couple of of supposed miracles in there. Um, but, But that rededication, the Hanukkah, Of the temple, Uh, and it seems that this psalm was adopted for that annual uh, annual celebration uh, very early. Um, David wrote about in this psalm wrote about some personal deliverance, and Israel came to sort of adopt this psalm for their national deliverance uh, under the Maccabees. You can see how verse one might might be particularly applicable. I will extol you, O Lord. You have lifted me up and not let my enemies rejoice over me. Uh, So, that's the heading. We're going to look at the psalm in in four parts this morning. Uh, First, look at David's problem. A few problems that give rise to his need for God's grace here. Uh, And then God's providence in response. And then we'll look at at David's renewed praise and prayer. Uh, And then the assurance, so the promise that he gives uh, to you, to us, in light of his experience and in light of the God he knows. So first, let's look at David's problem. Uh, the psalm is clearly praising God for some rescue, some deliverance, though it's never, uh, it's never named explicitly what, what happened in the psalm. Uh, in verse 1, he describes what God did in these words, you have lifted me up. Uh, that, that Hebrew is what's used for, for drawing water out of a well. Um, so he, he uses that imagery. Um, pulled out of some bad situation. Verse 2 then describes it this way, I cried to you for help and you healed me. And because of that, it's, it's generally been assumed, and I think rightly, um, probably the best assumption, that, that David's talking about some illness. Uh, he was healed from some sickness or some, some physical malady. And as we continue reading verse 3, it says, Lord, you brought, my, brought up my soul from Sheol, the, the grave, and you kept me alive. And so... He's comparing his situation to death. It, if it's an illness, it was a very dire sickness, an illness that God saved him from, God brought him out of. Um, John Calvin notes that word healed can also be used in the Old Testament uh, figuratively, not of, not of literal healing, but of mending something or rebuilding a building or something like that. And so uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that David was sick. It, it, it could figuratively refer to some other dire situation. Um, But either way, um, verse one also says, uh, I will extol you, O Lord, you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. So here's another concern that David has about his enemies. And in this psalm, it doesn't seem to be that he's at war, the enemies aren't attacking. It it, it seems that he's saying, Lord, if if you had allowed this illness, this sickness to win, my enemies would have taken some advantage or they, they would have, you know, gloried in that, um, taken pleasure in that. So David was in some kind of outward physical danger, terrible situation, probably terrible sickness. That's, that's the presenting problem. That's the outward problem uh, that David is looking back on in this psalm. But he explains as the psalm goes on that there was a deeper root to it. There was a deeper problem uh, that needed to be addressed that actually came first. Did you catch that as we read? Uh, it's verse 6. Where David says, now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. And then in verse 7, at the end of verse 7, we see you hid your face, I was dismayed. So I was in a prosperous time and then you hid your face and things got bad, this sickness or whatever it was. What what is David saying? He's saying in his prosperity, his wealth as king, his comfort and power in a time of peace with his enemies. Things were going well for King David. He became proud. Right? He, he said, I will never be moved. I'm doing awesome. I'm awesome. Nothing can touch me. And then again, verse 7, he, he, can, he remembers confessing, uh, I think is what he's saying. Oh, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand strong. You, Lord, not me. I, I came to the point where I was starting to think it was me. That I was untouchable in a good and prosperous time. It was because of God's great blessings on David, in part, it seems, that he became proud. He became self-sufficient, so he thought. He was spiritually complacent. He was losing any sense of, of total humility and dependence on the Lord. And he was thinking, I will never be moved. This was David's biggest problem, his first problem, not not an outward physical problem. That came next, right? It was a a spiritual one. It's a warning to you of how spiritually deadly prosperity can be, right? Not not automatically, not necessarily. It it can be a great and is a great blessing of God, Uh, but potentially Right? Maybe a, t- a time of peace in your life. Maybe your business is going well. Or you've, you've been in good health. Your, your kids are being really successful in various ways, and, and so on. These sorts of things hold great potential for sinners uh, to draw us away from humble, dependent faith, from, from desperate, humble prayer, to, to draw us away from grateful worship of God. I think that often happens uh, in, in a subtle way. Right? It doesn't necessarily happen by explicitly having the thought, well, I don't need God anymore. I'm awesome. I'm doing great on my own. Uh, you may still have all the outward trappings of faith, going to church and so on, but, but sort of like the proverbial frog boiling slowly in the, in, in the hot water, a true, humble, dependent faith is, is sort of melts away subtly. I, I assume that's what happened with David. We know from David's life, from the Psalms, this this doesn't characterize David's life generally, this sort of forgetting God and thinking, look at me, I'm awesome, I'm untouchable, but he fell into a season of it, at least one season of it. It's, it's easy to take so much for granted in our lives when things are going really well, to sort of Fall into David's expectation, well, everything's just going to continue like it is. Fall into a sense of, a false sense of control over your life. Uh, Like David, to to fall into that sense, you you really have to ignore a lot about your world and yourself um, to feel so secure and proud. But we do it, right? We fall into this. Uh, Take a a large scale example. I, I take for granted with, little thought ever less than, than I should have that tomorrow I and my family will be able to get up and go about my day in, in peace and freedom right specifically uh, relative to the, the no threat of war right I have no expectation of that I'm not going to have to join the army or do air raid drills with my kids or suffer famine because of shipping blockades or things like that in fact i I subconsciously project that assumption on on the whole week to come, and the month, and the year, the decade, really the rest of my life. I don't give a whole lot of thought to it. Part of that comes out of the fact the United States has been for about 160 years uh, without war here. If we can exclude Pearl Harbor as an extreme outlier. right? Without war. And, and, and to feel as secure as I tend to feel about the future. To just assume this will continue. My family will always be safe. I have to ignore the fact that that 160 years is virtually unprecedented in all of world history. All right, even the famed the, the Pax Romana, right? The peace of Rome for 200 years around the New Testament time, it wouldn't it, we wouldn't have thought it all that peaceful, <laughs> really. But that was a long time ago too. Um, we can easily just assume we we think you know look at the republic that we've built. Look how tough and rugged and heavily armed we Americans are. Uh, look at the military we've built or the wealth we've built. We will never be moved. You Sort of think that subtly, that David's thought. Uh, we, even believers, in a sense, can, can forget God with David if, if we're not continually humbly grateful to God, if we're not humbly asking God to be gracious, to give us peace. If we've been lulled by, by God's great blessings into ignoring reality. The fact that disease and accidents and so on can take life in a moment or corruption or fire or any number of things can destroy property and lives or relationships, selfishness, greed. Our world is full of these destructive things often totally outside of our control. We really are helpless and dependent on a sovereign God. Maybe maybe you're in a period of some spiritual stagnation in your life, not not relative to national peace necessarily, so, but, but just in your life. Things are good. And therefore your faith is cooling a bit. Right? It's not burning with gratitude and a sense of your utter dependence and your need for God's sustaining grace. You're praying less less fervently. You have a sense of control a sense of self-sufficiency. That was David's root problem. Let's look secondly at, at God's providence. Number two on your outline, God's providence. And I want you to notice that most importantly and powerfully and first, God's providence in this psalm was not making David well again. That wasn't God's primary providence, rescuing him, getting him out of his sickness or his danger, whatever his, his trouble was outwardly. God rescued David first from himself. That was God's great providence in this psalm. Verse 7, after David you know, shares what he fell into, <clears throat> he says, O Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. In other words, Lord, I, I had forgotten that my figurative mountain... Was, was strong, life was good and happy and prosperous entirely by your favor and your grace. I thought it was me until you hid your face. God hid his face. You, you allowed these hard and terrible things into my life to wake me up. And it's interesting how simple that, that metaphor is. God merely hid his face. And, and David's own strength and sense of security just melted, just wilted like that. Well, David experienced the providence of God that's described in Hebrews chapter 12. listen, Listen to how it's described there. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. David goes on in verse 8, To you, O Lord, I called. And to the Lord I made supplication, God's fatherly chastening, his, his allowing David to feel again how dependent, how weak, how not in control he was brought him back to the point of crying out to the Lord, back to humble faith. God's providence was in the hardship, it was in reducing David from his pride and his complacency even before we got to God's you know, lifting him out of the pit and, and healing him. I wonder if it was the same circumstance, maybe it was another similar time, that David writes about in Psalm 119. Uh, Repeatedly, in in one section in Psalm 119, David says things like this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. A few verses later, David said, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I, I, looking back, David can say it was, it was good. I, I've come to appreciate God's promises and his grace as I didn't before. A few verses later, he says, I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Uh, those are hard things to confess. Uh, and yet David, looking back, uh, sees God's providence. Uh, maybe, maybe you're in a stage... Not of prosperity and ease and everything going well. Maybe you're in a stage more like this uh, one in David's life. Feeling your frailty, somewhat helpless, maybe fearful. Know God's gracious sovereignty in this as well. Consider what God might have you to learn or to remember. Uh, Consider what God is calling you to or back to. Maybe a, a deeper reliance on him. more humble faith or dependent prayer, calling you maybe out of some complacency or pride uh, in allowing a hard providence. Well, thirdly, consider what David was brought to through his suffering, uh, specifically to to praise and prayer, uh, two sides of of, of a coin. As we'll see again, look at verse 8. David says, To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. He, He was returned to dependent prayer, um, look at verse 10. Another example of that. I, I don't, it's not clear whether verse 10 goes with uh, what is previous or goes with the last couple of verses in the New American Standard here. They, they separate it with, with the last stanza, which is clearly post-suffering. This is David's ongoing worship and, and prayer. Um, however David wrote it, it's a good example of what our prayers ought always to be. Uh, not just in response to suffering and hard things. Verse 10 Hear, O oh Lord, and be gracious to me. O oh Lord, be my helper. That, that's a prayer we ought to pray every day. Whether things are going well or things are really hard. Uh, perhaps especially when things are going well, we ought to focus on asking for God's grace and his favor and his help um, when we're most inclined not to feel outwardly the need for it as much. The other side of the coin of faith that, that God's hard providence in David's life brought him to If one is dependent prayer again, the other is is praise and gratitude. Uh, Look at the end of the psalm, verse 11. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, so that my soul may sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is is what David was created for all the time, his whole life. To praise God in everything, it's what you were created for. And notice in verse 12, uh, he, he, where he includes, and not be silent. I, I wonder if he's thinking back on this time when he became proud and self-sufficient. And he's committing to the idea that there would not be another time in the future when things are going well, that, that his faucet of praise would slow to a drip or, or shut off completely. It's easiest to praise God and thank him eagerly when, when we've just gotten something we wanted or, or some just gotten through some hardship. And that's of course appropriate. But David commits to this. I will not be silent again. Uh, I will stand up and, and and I will not stand up and praise myself again. I will, I will praise you and thank you forever. And in verse 4, he, he addresses this, this piece of his lesson to you. Verse 4 is not addressed to God, it's addressed to you, the singers of the psalm. Sing praise to the Lord, you, his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Uh, always praise and give thanks. In other words, I think David's advice here is don't, don't slip into complacency uh, as I did and self-sufficiency. Always remember to give thanks every day, uh, especially when things are, are good and happy. So he gives us these two sides of this coin for everyday life and faith of the believer, dependent prayer, humble, dependent prayer, and and thanks, and praise, and gratitude. Then fourthly, as as we face times of suffering, of God's fatherly chastening of our faith, we see David bases this, in this psalm, he bases it on uh, God's promise, God's promise. So we've seen David's problem, his outward problems, and the 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 deeper root problem of his pride, God's response of providence allowing these hard things, David's return to praise and prayer, and then God's promise. The promise of verse 5, particularly, is what we're looking at. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. That's a, a wonderful truth for our experience of hardship and suffering. And I want you to see two two simple things David's saying here about God's favor, about joy, about the the happy blessings of God. So the the first thing is that these are incomparable with our times of sorrow and grief or with the anger of God. Uh, As we look at verse 5, we might ask, is there an anger of God towards believers, towards his children? Uh, As David refers to here, and and, and I think the answer is a qualified yes. Yes, understood rightly. God is grieved by sin. God hates sin. That's an an evil. That's his nature. And yet this psalm, the whole scriptures affirm his favor is what is lasting and defining towards his people. The, The two are incomparable. And that's part of the comparison made in this Verse. Um, it's, it reminds me of our study of Lamentations last summer. Lamentations 3, uh, we read this. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And what do what these two passages, Lamentations 3, Psalm 30, teach uh, about the incomparability of God's chastening, His anger on the one hand, and His, and His love on the other. They, they both affirm, yes, God is grieved by sin. Yes, God allows hard, painful things. But there's no comparison between His chastening and, and His compassion, His love, His grace. They're, they're totally disproportionate. It's His compassion for you, ultimately, that will overwhelm any, any change, chastening or grief that will define his relationship with you forever. His loving kindness, his steadfast love, Lamentations 3, is abundant. It's forever. His favor lasts a lifetime, Psalm 30. Uh, Paul puts it memorably in, in Romans 8 this way. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. As hard as that is to see and accept at times in this life, right? Your, your sufferings are a drop in the ocean of God's abundant grace. Uh, none of this is, is, of course, to deny God's perfect justice, his, his wrath against sin, but, but this is his stance towards the people that he loves. His anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Uh, Micah, the prophet Micah puts it this way in Micah 7, You will not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Uh, God is never towards his people or, or ever at all. It's said to delight in showing anger or wrath. Uh, he, he delights to show mercy. Uh, though his, his anger is perfectly right and just and necessary. Paul, perhaps most powerfully and memorably, uh, in, in what we read earlier this morning from 2 Corinthians 4, Uh, puts it this way, for this light momentary affliction, and if you know anything about Paul's affliction, none of us would describe it as light and momentary, and yet Paul can here say this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not worth comparing the two. The greater your appreciation of the trials of this life, in one sense, within the sovereignty of God, the greater your joy and your experience of glory in the end. So these, these contrasted experiences in verse 5 are incomparable, first. And secondly, the, the favor and the joy here is inevitable. In other words, David is also affirming, the morning will come. The morning will come. Uh, it's, it's not a hope, it's not a wish, it's certainty. Just, just as with the, the literal morning, literal night and morning, morning will come. The sun comes up no matter how dark and long the night was. And you've probably all experienced uh, a long, hard night when you couldn't wait for the morning to come. Right? Maybe some of you recently, maybe with a sick kid or a, a dying relative or treacherous travel or something like that. You couldn't wait for the morning. And those things are never what we want. They're never what we choose. Verse 5, where, where it says, um, weeping may last for the night. The, what's translated, last is a bit of a paraphrastic translation for the NAS here. The ESV has a little more literal uh, when it says, uh, weeping may tarry for the night. Because the, the Hebrew word means to lodge or to stay, to spend the night. It, it refers to a guest who spends the night at your house. And so, you, you picture an unwanted or unpleasant guest staying longer than you wanted. That's, that's the imagery here. Weeping is pictured, or whatever might cause that, as is, is an in, uninvited, unwanted guest who barges in and sets up in your guest room and spends the whole long, dark night. And yet David's assurance is that a new guest, Joy, will come in the morning and, and kick weeping out and stay. That's God's promise. And I want you to see, ultimately, that these assurances are because of Jesus. These assurances are are given because you are united unconditionally, irreversibly, to Jesus. Uh, In the Bible, uh, David is a a type of Christ, as we say in in theology, a type of Christ, a a symbol. His his, uh, experiences... His faith as expressed in the Psalms, his role as king and, and some kind of prophet and priest as well are, are, are fulfilled in Christ. They point to Christ intentionally in the scriptures. And the New Testament makes that clear over and over again. Jesus gives full meaning and grounding in terms of this psalm. For one example, to, O oh Lord, you have brought up my, sh- my soul from shale, from the grave. The, the resurrection is the greatest example and fulfillment of verse 3. The resurrection is the reason this psalm has any lasting meaning at all. Uh, It's because of what Jesus endured that David, that you can meaningfully cry out to God, that verse 12, that you can give thanks to God forever. What hope does David have of, of forever escaping Sheol and praising God into eternity, aside from the resurrection of Christ? When I flew back from Alaska in August. I had a long layover in, in uh, Anchorage. And so I went to the city and just walked around for a good while. It was a beautiful day. I was walking through a park, and I came on a war memorial. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a, a specific to uh, any war uh, particularly. It was just to Alaska veterans in general. And there was one, one statue uh, there in particular of a, a soldier that had a plaque on it. I, I took a picture of it. Uh, because I, I thought it was profound and moving, and said this simply, to those Alaska veterans whose eyes have seen what the protected will never know. To those Alaska veterans whose eyes have seen what the protected will never know. That, that struck me as very powerful and true. I thought that's, that's my privilege, that, that I have taken too much for granted for sure. You know, Think of the horrors Seen by veterans, just for example, just in World War II, right? They kept Axis powers for Americans across the oceans, right? Horrors that many millions and millions of Americans never had to see and still don't. uh, That we can never even comprehend because others saw it and lived it in our place. And that's a powerful illustration, I thought, for the Christian as well of of why verse 5 is true. Uh, Why 2 Corinthians 4.17 is true. Uh, Why sorrow and chastening are just fleeting and momentary and purposeful and not lasting and not ultimate, not eternal for the believer. Jesus took your place on the cross. He took your place for all of your complacency and pride. He cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the full horror of the wrath of God for sin the depth of hell essentially uh, in your place so that you can, uh, will never see it. You will never know it. Uh, so that you can know that any suffering that you do endure is not the judgment of God for sin. It's not what Jesus endured or saw in your place. And you endure it as a beloved child, as God is teaching you and drawing you closer to himself. Knowing that weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, your beautiful word here in Psalm 30 and the uh, recounting of David's experience and your great grace towards him and these wonderful assurances uh, about suffering and joy and glory. Um, and how we ought to understand them relatively. Uh, We thank you for the way this psalm uh, is founded on and points us to Christ uh, and our identity in him. Uh, I pray that you would give us these assurances, that you would keep us from this uh, complacency and pride, that we would always be in dependent prayer before you and, and praising you and thanking you. Uh, at all times. Uh, We pray all this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen.